worship you, we worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. Hallelujah. We honor you. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship, we worship. Wonderful Jesus, wonderful Lord. Blessed be your name forevermore. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we honor you in this place today as we gather together in your name. Thank you for all that you have done for us, for all you're doing for us, and all you will do. You are good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> thought about this scripture as we were worshiping today in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were in prison it says and it uses the word and you've probably heard this before it says and suddenly suddenly the foundations of the prison were shaken just all of a sudden it said that Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises and then suddenly something happened I found in my life usually I've not had God do that many suddenlies. It's a progression. Whatever happens, you wish sometimes it would be suddenly, but it's not. It takes a period of time, and sometimes you look back and you think, oh my, look what God did. Exactly how did that happen? I don't know how he, how he worked all that out. How did God make something so beautiful out of chaos? He does that. He's a restorer. Hallelujah. But there are times where God does something suddenly. I had one of those this last week. Happened in someone's life. Suddenly, something happened in their life. And I was like, wow, there was a suddenly right there. So whether it is a suddenly that happens or God works progressively, thank God he's a God that answers prayer. Thank God that as we lift up our voices in the darkest of night and we thank him and we praise him for the victory, it may seem a long time in coming, but God is faithful. Amen. And sometimes it will happen suddenly, but in the end, God is always faithful to us. Amen. He is so good. Praise the Lord. Well, it's great to be in church today. Good to see you here. Uh, as Oni is on that camera number one, let's also wave, uh, wave at our church family that's watching from home today and worshiping with us. We're so glad that they're joining us via their phone or their computer or their smart TV. And um, after you have waved to them, well, I guess you could either wave to each other or greet each other in some way. Give each other a, a warm welcome. And then after you've done that, then you may be seated. We're going to dismiss the children to Kids Church. Miss Karen is in the back to uh, lead them to their classroom. Praise the Lord.
And if you are here today visiting with us for the first time, uh, we want to let you know how happy that we are are, that we are that you're here with us. So if you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand where you are so we could see you. We're glad that you're here. We have many people that visit with us new. We have people from all over the world that uh, watch our services, not just necessarily live, but also later. And we hear from many people. So we're just so thankful for the, for the lives that are being touched through the ministry of the Word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Pastor Chip is here today. I don't know where he is. Where is he? There he is. We're so glad he's here. There's his smiling face. And uh, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Chip, it, it's a good thing. He had brain surgery. We're trusting now he thinks correctly <laughs> after this surgery. <laughs> yeah, they just went through his nose. So everybody go check out his nose after the service. But it was a good thing because they found that there was a uh, little, uh, there was a small cyst that was pressing on his pituitary gland, and that's a very important gland that keeps all the levels in your body correct. God, we are intricately made and wonderfully made. And so anyway, they took that out, and um, so his pituitary, we just declare, is snapping back to where it should be, praise the Lord. And we're just so, so it was a good thing. The surgery was a good thing, and he's, as you can see, he's recovering well, praise the Lord. We're glad that he's worshiping here with us today. Amen. Um, uh, then this week we have um, our adventure camp that will beginning, be beginning tomorrow. It's ages kids ages 7 through 8th grade. Um, they're going to have a, a separate um, uh, small groups for them and services and lots of fun planned. And I have to share this story with you by Sophie Venanzi. It was the cutest thing. She came up to me. My granddaughter had a little a birthday party on Friday, and little Sophie is seven, and, and she came up to me, and she, um, she looked at me, and I had like bags of, you know, those little bags of chips of Lay's and all that. Kids love that. And normally, parents don't really let them have that too much, right? But for special, special times, we let them have those chips. And so she looked at me, and she goes, oh, I just wish I could just take this whole tray of chips home with me. And I said, well, you can take one home with you. And I said, you know, you're going to be at my house at a pool party again in a few days. And guess what? I'm going to have these chips of it, uh, here on that day. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I mean, it was just like she was so excited about the chips. And then she said, are we having s'mores too? I said, Yes, we're having s'mores. She goes, yay! I mean, she just took that little arm. Oh, goody! And she said, she said, I just knew it. I just knew we were going to have s'mores at camp. You know, I was really thinking, can I? That, I'm doing the food for camp. So um, at that point, I mean, I had had a long week, and I was thinking, could we just take out in uh, Del Taco for every meal? You know, how can I make this easier? But honestly, her enthusiasm and her heart and her excitement is, I think, what inspires all of those, thank God, who are helping us with camp. Thank you to all who are the adults who are helping us with camp. It inspires us. Praise the Lord. It's a memorable time, and um, so it inspires us all to 
do what we need to do. Praise the Lord. There's going to be 30 of us there this week and here at the church, and so we are looking forward to it. We have really wonderful times um, in the presence of God as well. So we, we do the gambit there. Um, we just want to remind you that we always, every each Sunday, have a table in the lobby that shows you... Um, uh, what's going on in our state, in our nation, to do with our uh, freedoms. And you can find that information out there. There's a, actually a lot going on in our county right now. And so if you're interested in those type of things, there's always information and new information out, out, out there, and you can stop and, and see, uh, see the folk that are manning that table. Um, and then the, uh, the last thing, um, I'm going to have Elaine Costa come. And I gave you her testimony some months ago about when she was in the hospital with COVID. And um, so she, I was texting her. We were mess Facebook messaging a lot during that time. And I will just say she never lost her victory during that time. She never lost her victory and has such a wonderful, sweet testimony. I wanted her to give it. And so I'm standing here with you. So we, we love, we love, she's a little nervous, but you'll never know. We love her, don't we? <laughs> Okay, that's what I told her. They love you. Okay, there you go. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I just want to say how grateful I am to have a pastor who teaches us how to stand on the Word of God. <laughs> because if I didn't, <laughs> or if, if I didn't know how, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. So um, in January, actually it was on January 22nd, I got really sick. Um, I, uh, well, three days before I went to the hospital, the Holy Spirit said, pneumonia, pneumonia, pneumonia. And I was like, what? Pneumonia? Oh, oh my gosh. And so I thought, wow, am I really that sick? So anyway, um, three days later, I'm in the hospital, and my oxygen was at 85%. And um, they, you know, said, hey, your lungs are a mess. We need to admit you. You have pneumonia. Um, they also tested me for COVID, and we're waiting for that test. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you have COVID, too. And, and they're, like, you know, looking at me like it's a big problem. And I was thinking, it's not too big for my God. <laughs> and so, um, anyway, uh, so I was admitted. Um, and on the way to my, um, my room, um, the enemy is telling me, you're going to die. You're going to die. They're going to put you on that ventilator. And you can't breathe. You can't breathe. And where's your God? Where's your God? And, uh, and so I had my mask on. And so I was able to pray in the spirit, you know. And I asked the Holy Spirit just to give me wisdom. Uh, what, you know, what do I do? And it was, like, it was like a game. It was like, okay, it's my turn to respond. So every time the enemy would say, you're going to die, I'd say, no, I shall live and not die. Um, when the spirit of fear showed up, I, the spirit of fear was like, oh, you're scared. You're without your family. There, nobody can help you. And I said, no, I'm actually not alone. My God is with me. He said, do not fear, for I am with you wherever you go. And so I'm like, nope. And so everything that the enemy threw at me, and I was on my way to my room, and I, I couldn't really, you know, speak to the situation at that time, because, you know, they're asking me questions. Oh, what's your name? You know, date of birth, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I get to my room, and it's dark, and it's pretty scary, and, uh, but I didn't, I didn't ever give voice to that, and I never spoke contrary to the word. I just stuck with God's word. I knew he was with me. I wasn't alone, um, and when I finally got to my, to my room, they told me, the nurse looked me in the eyes and said, hey, you need to do everything that we tell you to do because we want to keep you out of ICU, which is right across the hall. And I said, don't worry, I'll be your best patient. So, um, and I had all of these um, 
IVs in both of my arms. I had monitors, everything on me. And they said, oh, and you have to lay on your stomach. So I was like, great, okay. So I'll do whatever, whatever I need to do. So then uh, it's dark. I'm in my room laying on there. And, uh, and I said, and the enemy is, you know, saying stuff to me. And I, you know, rebuked him. And I, and I bind you up in the name of Jesus. I render you powerless. Told him all that. And uh, you're on the floor. You're a defeated foe. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Then I go to the Lord and I said, Lord, you said if I set my love upon you, you know, the last part of Psalm 91, which Pastor Mike did talk about quite a bit, um, and I remembered, and I told the Lord, well, first I said, hey, Lord, you said you're no respecter of persons, and so you did this for Pastor Mike and others, so um, I'm calling on you, Lord. I have set my love upon you. I'm calling on you. And he said, yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. I, I said, you said you'll be with me in trouble. And then Satan's like, oh, you're going to die. If you go to sleep, they're going to put you on the ventilator because my monitor was right there and I could see as I'm talking because I can't really breathe. And they told me, breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. So as I'm thinking of breathing, I'm telling the Lord and I'm looking at the monitor and it's going down. Anything below 90 is not good. So I've got these big things going through my nose, you know, air, wind tunnel in my nose, uh, like 100 miles an hour, big things. And anyway, so I was like in between all that and I was like, I was tired of Satan telling me these lies. <laughs> and so I just said, Satan, let me tell you who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am seated at the right hand of God. And he is in me and I am in him. He's not going down. I remember this from Pastor Mike. Therefore, I'm not going down. And it was like he went away. And then I said, Lord, I'm calling on you. You said you'll be with me in trouble. You will... Um, you, with long life, you know, you'll satisfy, satisfy me and show me your salvation. And he said, yes, again. And it's all, I mean, it was, I already, I, I knew I had the victory. I, I wasn't worried. I knew the end point. Everybody else was worried. I wasn't. I knew I was going to be okay. I just had to go through this process. And I had to make sure that I responded in the right way. Because how I respond determines the outcome of this situation. And um, anyway, so uh, they told me, oh, well, you'll be here a few days. Then it had been five days. And uh, I guess, uh, oh, I prayed for favor. Uh, oh, wait. I'm sorry. I got to say one more thing. I know I, I'm running out of time. But um, when the Lord said yes the second time, then I saw Jesus. Uh, it was, I was at this long table, like kind of, it was like the last supper table. There was tons of people laughing, talking. I don't know what anybody looked like. All I know is that there was a line of food and somebody to my right and left in front of me. And I looked, you know, and I looked to my left and Jesus goes like, like, hey, you know, <laughs> like you really are seated at the right hand of God. <laughs> and, and then that, after that, I was just like, over the moon. I was just so excited. And all I did from that point forward, I spent a few minutes, maybe nanoseconds, praying to God. He said yes twice. He showed me that he confirmed his word. Again, he didn't have to do that. And I was, I, all I did from that point was just praise the Lord. And every time that the enemy came, I said, not my problem. 
okay, Lord, I got to go to bed now. So this is night one. I got to go to bed now. I cast the care upon you, uh, cast the care of my life upon you. I got to go to bed. I got to get rest. I got to recover. I got to go through this whole process, you know. And and he took care of me. And the enemy, I never heard from him again, ever. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And um, I just, I, I um, listened to praise music on my iPhone loud on 10 volume and I didn't have a roommate and then I had a roommate and I was like oh, I hope she doesn't have a problem with my pastor Mike and my whole you know regimen going on here because it's not stopping and she loved it and um and she was a believer she was a Christian uh but you know I don't think like how we are uh, I don't think she knew the word because she was in fear the whole time and I prayed over her and I prayed with her I let her well she heard pastor Mike she didn't have a choice but um I I sang song I praised songs and and um and I just all I did was console everybody that was concerned about me <laughs> I said I'm gonna be okay I have the victory and um I prayed for favor I had favor I had a nurse night two negative Nelly said oh you'll never see your doctor he's never gonna come and see you oh I got I led two people to the Lord Praise the Lord, hallelujah. And that's so not me. I mean, I'm, I'm an outgoing person, but I'm not like that. You know, my husband can do that all day long. And I used his line. <laughs> I was like, hey, I want to see your face in heaven. And I don't know how it all worked out, but <laughs> it was like it worked. And I told him, I'm like, you know, your line really does, it works. But um, anyway, so yeah, I led two people to the Lord. I got to witness to my roommate and all the nurses and doctors, they'd come in. Oh, what are you listening to? Oh, Pastor Mike, Foothill family. Church. Oh, I love it. Um, well, yeah, after I was there, they knew Pastor Mike in our church. And I told them, they were like, oh, you want to turn the TV on? No, no, no TV. No. And it was like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't. No. Pastor Mike, 24-7. I did have it on 24-7. But I wasn't in fear. That's the thing. I was in faith. I was praising the Lord. And I mean, I had no breath. I had to think about breathing. Did you ever go on a ventilator? Never. Never. I said, that I t my dad was like, well, they said if you weren't better in the morning. Well, my brother and sister told me what my dad said, that you were going to go on the ventilator. I was like, no way. Never. Never. It's not going to happen. And it didn't happen. And guess what? They told me, oh, you're going to have, you're possibly going to have um, permanent lung damage. I was like, mm-hmm, okay. Um, I'm healed by the blood of Jesus. I mean, everything that they told me, I squashed it with the word. No, none. Okay. Did you do you have any permanent lung damage? None. No. None. Praise the Lord. And you never went on a ventilator. Never went on a ventilator. She's a fireball, isn't she? Oh, Pastor Lord. Mike is preaching today, though, so we have to give him a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. She's a blessing, isn't God good? Amen. Hallelujah. Rejoice with her. Yeah. Yeah, she never lost the victory. She was always shouting the victory in the darkest of nights. She did. She did. Praise the Lord. Thank you, my darling. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. The worship team is going to come up and uh, lead, us in, lead us in a song. And why don't, uh, why don't we just stand and we'll just get ready to sing with them. And as we do, we're going to pray together. And reminder about how you can give. I think everybody here is family, and so you know all the different ways that we can that to give. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in Elaine, your faithfulness to your word, O oh Lord, your faithfulness to us, your faithfulness to her. We we aren't going to be 
like the nine of the ten lepers who forget to say thank you. We're going to be like the one who came back and worshipped at your feet. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you did in Elaine's body. We thank you what you've done in the bodies of so many people in our church that the healing of God has worked in them, Lord, that you have protected us, that you have provided for us, and that you have given us peace in this time of turmoil in this world. Hallelujah. We thank you. We don't forget to come to your feet and worship you for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peace like a river, wash over me.
Okay, let's try this. Better? Hallelujah. What about it, guys? Am I stuck with this? For now. Okay. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 tells us the story of when Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. Beginning in verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. 
and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, folks, I want you to notice these, passages, these uh, scriptures. They're all talking about things outside the church. When they asked Jesus, what shall be the sign of your coming and when shall these things take place? Jesus gave them information about things that are happening in the world. The exception might be in verse 9, I believe it is, where it says, you shall be hated for all men's sake. And they shall bring, uh, bring you up to, to kill you. Persecution certainly is relative to the, to the church. But if we want to find out what's going on, according to what Jesus said, we're going to have to operate or look outside the church to see what men are doing and so forth. I can't tell which microphone is working now. Is this one working? Is this working? Yes? Okay, I can go without this? What are you doing, Ryan? I'm sure this makes for great streaming. Two minutes. What am I supposed to do for two minutes? Sing. No. That's somebody that's never heard me sing. <clears throat> Folks, the point that I'm trying to make, and we'll hopefully get there somewhere along the way, is that if we want to find out what's going, what the signs of Jesus coming are, we're going to have to look where he told us to look. We're going to have to look for what's happening in the world. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy and identified the, the uh, condition of men's hearts and he talked about how, okay, that did something. Is that it? Is it coming from the right place? Great. It's good for me. Did you enjoy it? Praise the Lord. <clears throat> so, many, so many times, or so much of the church world <clears throat> has been cowered into the place where they don't want to hear about world events or current affairs or things like that. But folks, if we don't keep up with what's going on in the world, we're not going to know where we are in Jesus' timeline. 
if you look at the things, the stories that we have, stories of victory and stories of God showing himself strong in the Old Testament, nearly all of them have to do with the resistance or the overcoming or the defeat of governments. You get Moses and Pharaoh regarding the ten plagues and the, and the crossing of the Red Sea. Here was the people of God that were opposed and oppressed by government. We see the same thing with David. David fought against Goliath, but he was fighting the champion of the Philistines. That's government work. Then he was persecuted by Saul. Again, it's opposition to a government operation or a government entity. We've got Daniel, whose opposition was the king. We've got the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their opposition was Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. We've got Jehoshaphat, the story of how he defeated the five enemy kings by the hand of God. That was a government uh, operation. We've got situation after situation which shows us God showing his power, and he showed it against the kingdoms of the world. Now, we've got one, one uh, standalone exception, if that's a good way to call it, and that was Joseph. Joseph was made prime minister, for the purpose, uh, prime minister of Egypt for the purpose of the salvation of Israel. The beginning of the Israelites... God put his man in charge. But over and over we see governments, we see the operation of governments, and we see individuals that took a stand, and that stand showed forth the mighty miracle-working power of God. Now I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let me stop right here and make a couple of comments. Who's going to depart from the faith? Obviously he's talking about the, re the response or the actions of believers But who is he speaking of? I'm not really worried about you departing from the faith. The reason for that is because the operation of our church, the purpose for our church, has, to build, has been to build the word of God in your lives. People that are the most committed are not going to be the ones that fall away. People that are used to and have been instructed by the word of God to keep the word of God first place in their lives, those are not people that are going to fall away. Those are not people that are going to depart. The greatest enemy to people staying in the word of God or staying true to the faith that they've entered into is lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christians are the ones that are going to vacillate. Lukewarm Christians are the ones that are going to try one day and give up the next day. But people that have experienced 
the miracle working power of God, those are not people that are going to be easily shaken. So he said, now the Spirit speaketh expressly or distinctly, specifically, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There's two ways you can approach this. It could be doctrines about devils, or it could be doctrines that are inspired by devils. The church world has experienced both over the last 2,000 years with varying degrees of effectiveness. And the thing that determines whether those doctrines took root has been the commitment of the individual believer to the word. Now the Bible talks about different doctrines operating in the church. For example, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus sends 12 letters, I'm sorry, he sends 7 letters to the churches in Asia Minor, what we know of today as Turkey. And in those instructions, those letters that are sent to each of these churches, three of them are upbraided because of the doctrines that they've accepted into their midst. Two churches are identified as operating or influenced by the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nicholas is one of the, the seven first deacons that are selected in Acts chapter 6. And church history tells us that the Nicolaitans or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was, made, uh, was introducing pagan worship or going back to pagan worship as a part of their service to God, so to speak. You remember in Acts chapter 19 when Paul was in Ephesus, it tells us about how that there was a great move of God and in the space of three years, nearly all the world was breached. Of course, he's not talking about the whole of the planet. But as I said, there was a great move of God, a great revival that was taking place. But then there was the seven sons of Siva incident. You remember that? These seven sons of a Jewish priest, after witnessing the power of God operating through Paul, took on themselves to cast the devil out of somebody or try to. And so they came to the individual that was possessed of the devil and they commanded him in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to leave. And the evil spirit that was uh, operating or possessing that individual said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And the evil spirit that was in that man prompted him or influenced him enabled him really to jump on those seven guys defeat them strip off their clothes and send them running down the street naked now the Bible says that there was a great reaction to that it says that the people who heard about it and you know that was a story that would pass around town real quick those that heard of it brought their occult practices, their occult to uh, 
tokens or whatever they would be called, little statues that they had and all that kind of thing. And they brought it to the church and burned them. And the price was many millions of dollars worth of stuff. Now, my question is, why did they have the stuff? These are people that had been born again. These are people that were saved. That means they accepted the blood of Jesus as the saving power. So why did they have this other stuff? Well, it shows the condition of the, of the church. After three years, or three and a half years, I guess, since they came into to being. So here was a situation where God showed in a miracle-working way the priority, the supremacy of the power of God over all these pagan practices. Now in those letters, the seven letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, it also identifies the doctrine of Balaam that one of the churches had accepted. And it was similar to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans where it incorporated pagan worship in a part of their lives but it was sexual in nature and it led many people into fornication and into sin. Then in those seven letters, it tells us about another church that had accepted somebody, uh, the woman that is identified as Jezebel, who was a false prophetess and also led people into fornication and sexual sin. So these doctrines of devils, as I said, can be either doctrines about devils, teachings about devils. We saw some of that in the 1960s, where there was a great emphasis placed on teaching about the devil and who he is and how big and strong he is and what he can do and so on and so forth. And it shipwrecked a lot of Christians' lives. Because the thing that you focus on gets bigger and bigger on the inside of you. If you focus on the devil, then the devil becomes bigger in your eyes. But if you focus on God and his word and the power of his word, then that's what grows in you. I think a lot of Christians have a devil that's giant. And they see God as just some little bitty fellow. When exactly the opposite is true. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Folks, the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that are operating in the world today are socialism and Marxism. And it produces the results that's spoken of here, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Nearly everything we're hearing from our government is a lie. Nearly everything that we're hearing from the news media is a lie. And I believe it's important for us as believers who trust in the power of God's word first and foremost in our lives to be aware of these things. Now we could start talking about the lies that we're hearing and the things that are operating in our lives 
or in the country around us and spend all day today and tomorrow and maybe the rest of next week identifying what's going on. But that's not my purpose here this morning. But the Bible says that you can judge a tree by the fruit that it produces. In other words, we can identify socialism and Marxism by the things that those two doctrines are producing in this world. I'm going to take just a minute here and pull up some, Marx, some quotes by Karl Marx. First quote, number one, there's 13 of these that I've written down that I think are relative to us in the body of Christ in these last days. Number one, my object in life, this is what he said, quoted from him himself, my object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Number two, take away a nation's heritage and they are more easily persuaded. Folks, that's what this critical race theory is all about. Number three, keep people from their history and they are easily controlled. Number four, communism begins where atheism begins. Number five, the meaning of peace is the absence of opposition to socialism. In other words, the only way we're going to have peace is when we accept that this is the way things are. Number six, the democratic concept of a man is false because it is Christian. The democratic concept holds that each man is a sovereign being. This is the illusion, the dream, and the postulate of Christianity. Number seven, the theory of communism may be summed up in one sentence. Abolish all the private property. Folks, we took a step in that direction this last week with the moratorium on evictions. Now the government has decided what landowners can or cannot do. And they've determined that they can't look to the individuals that are renting from them or evict them from their, their home. Number eight, a heavy or progressive or graduated income tax is necessary for the proper development of communism. Number nine, anyone who knows anything of history knows that great social changes are impossible without feminine upheaval. Social progress can be measured exactly by the social position of the fair sex, the ugly ones included. I'm not sure why that last phrase was added in, but <laughs> nevertheless, that's what he said. The tenth quote, the last capitalist we hang shall be the one who sold us the rope. Eleven, we know that violent measures against religion are nonsense, but this is an opinion. As socialism grows, religion will disappear, 
Its disappearance must be done by social development in which education must play a part. Number 12, accuse your enemy of what you are doing as you are doing it to create confusion. That's pretty obvious what's going on there. Here's the last one, number 13. I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. Folks, I want you to see that Marxism, or what we call communism, and communism is the progression of socialism. When socialism has come full circle, then communism is present. And so we see that communism, socialism, and communism are both rooted in hatred of God. So if we want to find out what's going on in the world, we're going to have to keep our eyes on nations. We're going to have to keep our eyes on the things that are happening in the political realm in order for us to identify where we are on God's timeline. So the Spirit speaks expressly, specifically, that in the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Well, we've talked about what seducing spirits and doctrines of devils produces. Let's see what right doctrine produces. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And the last part of the Sermon on the Mount is the man that builds his house on the rock as opposed to the man that builds his house on sand. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice the word one is in italics. It means the translators added it. So notice what it's saying. It's saying the people were astonished at his doctrine, at his teaching. Now, folks, most everybody that I know in the body of Christ has the idea whether it's an underlying idea or it's the forefront of their thinking, either way, has the idea that Jesus' ministry was just about doing miracles and proving he was the Son of God. But there were specific times that Jesus told his disciples not to tell that he was the Messiah, not to tell that he was the Christ. Well, if that was the case... If pro pro uh, providing proof through miracles and such was not Jesus' prim primary purpose of his earthly ministry, then what was? They were astonished at his doctrine, 
They were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching, for he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. These two words, as having, literally mean how to hold. They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Well, how effective was his teaching? Look with me to chapter 8. Chapter 8, it tells us about the leper that came to him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Skip down with me to verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. So the doctrine of Jesus produced people that believe in, in uh, authority. And as a result of believing in authority, the, the authority that Jesus taught, they have spoken the word, and they recognize that the power of God's word is sufficient to deliver them from the ills of, of evil, the ills of the work of the devil, and so forth. Jesus' doctrine, the teaching that Jesus taught, right doctrine, produces faith in God's word. And not just faith, but great faith. The centurion was a product of what Jesus had taught. And Jesus marveled at his great faith. Now look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This word perilous means dangerous, but it also means strength reducing. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, he's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about the attitude of people in the church. He's talking about people in the world. Professing a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. Well he can't be talking about Christians then. He's talking about this is what people are going to look like in the last days. 
For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what are we to do if we find ourselves in this last day period where the devil is operating against the church through socialism and Marxism? What's the answer for the generation that lives during that period of time? Verse 16 of this same chapter, same letter written to Timothy, says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Therefore, that brings us to chapter 4. Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. What's the answer for the work that the devil is doing in this world, in this country, right before our eyes, reducing and in some ways destroying the founding documents that God-fearing men created 200 years ago? Well, the answer is always the same, and that's the word. The blood of Jesus that's revealed to us in the word of God is still sufficient to overcome any disease there is. It's still able to provide for our well-being, to meet our needs, to bring resources into our hands no matter what the government does, no matter what they take away, no matter what they try to destroy. The power of God's word is sufficient to keep us walking in victory. So Paul says, just as the Spirit is speaketh expressly or specifically in the last days that many shall depart from the faith, as long as we keep our eyes on his word, as long as we speak the word of God, which is the way to exercise authority and the way to choose life, as we speak the word of God, his will is realized in our lives. Folks, there's never been a time that's more important for us to speak the word. And what we have to guard against is what James talks about in James chapter verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's not enough just to say we believe in the word. We have to confess it. Confession is what brings us into salvation. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That salvation includes healing for our bodies. That salvation includes provision. And not only provision, but the Bible talks about the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. 
Well, if that verse of Scripture is true, when is it supposed to take place? It has to be before the rapture. Because after the rapture takes place, we're not going to be concerned about the wealth of the world because we'll no longer be in this world. So if the Scripture is true, and God said it twice, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He says twice that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I'm confessing that one. And that's exactly what we have to do if it's going to be a reality in our lives. It's not enough just to say we believe that the Bible is true about the end times. We're going to have to take possession of these specific things through the confession of our mouth. Speak God's word. Speak God's word. If you want to walk in victory when the rest of the world is being tossed back and forth, speak his word. If you want to walk in health, when the umpteenth variant of COVID shows up, speak God's word. If you want to defeat the devil in every area of your life, if you want to express the faith that is our victory that enables us to overcome, speak God's word. You know what I loved about Elaine's testimony there? She knew it wasn't enough just to pray. As she spoke God's word, that's where she got an answer from God. The answer didn't come while she prayed. The answer came when she spoke his word. Folks, prayer is a wonderful thing. It's an important part of our spiritual walk. But it can't take the place of the confession of the word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, if confession of the word is like eating, if it's the bread that furnishes God's will in our lives, then prayer can be identified or illustrated by breathing. Now tell me this, which of you wants to, separ- or wants to substitute breathing for eating? Or how many of you want to substitute eating for breathing? They're both necessary parts to our lives. You can't substitute one for the other. So speaking the word of God is of utmost and primary importance. There's nothing more important to you in these last days if you're going to walk in victory than speaking God's word. God made his word for one purpose, and that is the means to exercise your authority and experience God's will in your life. Nothing else will do it other than the spoken word. Nothing else will do it except the confession of your faith. Speak God's word in every area of your life. And watch God do great things, no matter what the government tells us to do, no matter if they mandate vaccines, 
no matter if they mandate any and every aspect of socialism and Marxism. God's word spoken through your lips should be the first and, first and foremost thing in your life. Let's pray. Father, we bless your holy name. We worship you and we recognize the truth of your word. Father, we declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We thank you, Father, that we are the healed of, of Christ because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And Father, we declare that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for us in these last days. We thank you, Father, for a miraculous transfer of wealth into the hands of the church, into the hands of those that have proven themselves faithful with everything they own and everything in their lives. Father, we declare that the peace that you left us, the peace that passes understanding, keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So as the world goes into turmoil, we maintain our peace because you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you for right doctrine identified by your word. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, because we've set our love upon you. You deliver us. Because we have known your word, you set us on high. When we're in trouble, you are with us. When we call upon you, you answer us. We thank you, Father, that you honor us and deliver us. And with long life, you satisfy our hearts, our mouths. Thank you, Father, that no one can take us out of your hand and no one or nothing can defeat your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand. Let's say it again, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. God bless.